What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the program. It is episode 260 of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. As always, you can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. You can follow our Facebook and Twitter pages for the latest updates. Uh, great to be back with you folks this week. Had a great uh, guest Friday last week with Matt Plew. Did a uh, NBA draft preview. Um, so if you'd like to go listen to it, you still can. You know, obviously we recorded that before the actual draft, so maybe a little bit outdated. But if you would like to go listen, you still can. Uh, looking forward to this week's Guest Friday. Got a new guest coming in to talk uh, about the Bruins as, you know, the off season is kind of going to really kick into high gear this week. So uh, looking forward to that later this week. Uh, the draft is also coming up. We'll talk a little bit about the Bruins. You know, obviously the team does not have picks in the first or the second round at the moment. So, you know, kind of a little bit limited in what they can do, but we'll talk about that later in the program. Um, so I think, you know, thought about today, uh, starting with the Red Sox, we're going to get to the Red Sox, but um, I thought that it probably makes more sense uh, to start with the Celtics and uh, kind of just the crazy uh, week that they had with, you know, a, a failed trade, a, you know, agreed upon trade, the draft, um, and all those things. So, you know, clearly the big move, the Celtics uh, trading Marcus Smart um, in a three-team deal, uh, the Celtics getting Kristaps Porzingis, um, in the trade with the Wizards and the Grizzlies, Celtics get Porzingis, a second-round pick. Or no, excuse me. They got Porzingis, the 25th overall pick um, in the draft, and then they got a future first-round pick. The Wizards get, I believe, got a a draft pick of some sort. Maybe it was a second-round pick. Uh, Tyus Jones from Memphis. Um, and then Mike Muscala and Danilo, Ga- Danilo Gallinari uh, from the Celtics. Um, and then Marcus Smart going to Memphis. So obviously a couple of, you know, names in that trade that, you know, uh, elicited a little bit of a, of a reaction from, you know, Celtics fans. I think on one hand people, you know, maybe not overly upset about losing Gallinari, but I think that, you know, it's kind of too bad just the Celtics, you know, signing him last last year, tears his ACL, doesn't play a, a single game, you know, and I think a lot of us were looking forward, you know, me included, looking forward to seeing what he could do um, next season. You know, obviously opted in to the last year of his deal. I always kind of thought it was a possibility that the Celtics may include him in a trade as kind of salary filler. Um so obviously, you know, the, the, the big kind of name in the trade is Marcus Smart. And, you know, I think for me, I've gone back and forth about my feelings about this because I think on one hand, you look at the way that, you know, and before I say this, I want to make it clear that I'm not blaming anyone for this thing that I'm about to say, but I feel like when you look at the Celtics' deep postseason runs 
of the last three years, including the bubble, the Celtics have had a very, very hard time closing games out, especially offensively. You know, they go stagnant. They do this, you know, isolation thing. They take bad shots, you know, that sort of thing. And I feel like there needed to be a change. There needed to be an attempted change to that type of, you know, lack of execution. And I don't blame Marcus Smart entirely, you know, for that thing. Because Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are absolutely, you know, equal blame in that as well. Um, But I just feel like there were times where Marcus could be unpredictable in times like that. And yes, more often than not, I feel like he would make the right play. He would make a big shot. He would, you know, make a huge play, whether it was offense or defense. But I feel like it's kind of, sometimes it's silly plays that he makes or, you know, bad turnovers, bad shots, you know, things like that. And I feel like for this team to attempt to get over the hump and get into, you know, winning a championship, there needed to be some sort of change. And I feel like the Celtics decided to, you know, ride with Tatum and Brown and try to decide guys that they can, you know, bring in to build around those guys. Now, obviously, this situation is not as simple because the Celtics initially tried to trade Malcolm Brogdon uh, to the Clippers, and the Clippers were included in a potential three-team deal with the Wizards. For whatever reason, you know, according to sources, the Clippers uh, didn't feel like they could get a physical in time for Malcolm Brogdon um, on Wednesday. And why that's significant, Wednesday was the deadline for Porzingis's um, opt-out uh, in his contract. So for the Celtics to make the trade, he needed to opt into the last year of his contract. Um, and so the Celtics and Clippers, I guess, were unable to get a, a physical before then. And so I guess that's why the trade fell apart. The Clippers, I guess, had some concerns about Malcolm's um, injury that he suffered in the playoffs. Um, it sounds like he could possibly need surgery, but it doesn't sound like it's going to affect uh, the beginning of the season. Um And so I think to go off on a a quick tangent here, I don't think the Celtics are going to be looking to move Brogdon again. You know, the way that Brad Stevens was talking later in the week made it sound like they expect that he's going to be part of the team uh, going forward. So, you know, certainly there's some thoughts about how does that affect you know, Malcolm's well-being, you know, as a person, that yes, it can be difficult if you, you know, a team tries to trade you and it doesn't work and you have to come back and play for that team. Now, I think Malcolm's a professional. I think that he's an adult and I think that he can handle it. I don't think that this is something where he's going to be upset that he got attempted to get traded. So I'm not necessarily 
not necessarily concerned about that. Um, but I think, you know, the, the hard thing about the smart trade is, um, I think just what he meant to the team, what he meant to the organization, what he meant to the city. Um, because I think, you know, there are so, there are, I don't want to say there's so few guys because that's not necessarily true, but I just feel like he was an athlete that truly meant, really kind of embodied the Boston athlete and really embodied the Celtics. Um, just the way that he played just gave everything, you know, played his heart out, you know, played through, played through a bevy of injuries, you know. How many times did we watch games and see Marcus go down and be concerned that it's a, you know, season a season ending injury or, you know, something worse? And how many times did he get back up and grimace and play through pain? It just you can't teach stuff like that. And I think the reason why this is so hard is it's people get emotionally attached to guys like that because they play so hard, because they are, you know, great leaders, they can, you know, pick up a team when they're down, they can, you know, pull rabbits out of the hat, like the, you know, James Harden offensive foul, uh, two offensive fouls at the end of that game a number of years ago, you know. So I think that's the hard part, and I think the Celtics are going to miss his, you know, leadership and his you know, ability to try to get the team going. So it's going to hurt. You know, I think it hurt a lot of people to to see him go. You know, I think this was definitely, you know, a basketball decision. You know, Brad Stevens loves Marcus. The whole organization, the whole city loves him. And I think, yes, could be a polarizing player at times, but you could never, you know, question his effort. Um, and could never question you know, what he did for the Celtics, for the fans, for the community, you know, did so much for the community, for the kids and, and, and everyone in the city of Boston. So, you know, it's, it's hard. Um, but I think that, you know, it's just part of the business. And I think, you know, I think it's, it's, it's hard for a lot of us, you know, who love Marcus because, I think when you, you know, draft a player and that player plays unbelievably hard and is a big part of what you do for, for nine years, you know, you think that players like that are going to play for your team forever. You know, you think that these guys are going to be immortalized and play for, you know, the same team for so long. And I think that's what kind of makes it so hard about this is, you know, we all envisioned that he was always going to be here. And, you know, I think it just was clear that I think they needed to take a swing, you know, and really take a gamble here. And I think it is a gamble because you're losing Marcus. You're losing Marcus's, you know, intangibles, his, you know, quote unquote winning plays, whatever you want to call that. You know, his leadership, his ability to get the guys going. And I think the Celtics are you know, taking a gamble here. And I think that it's a smart gamble. I think that it's a calculated gamble um, because I think acquiring Porzingis 
you know, makes the Celtics better. You know, I think especially when you consider the lack of offensive execution late in games, he's a guy that really can do everything. You know, he's a guy that can, you know, shoot from the mid-range. He can make threes. You know, he can drive to the hoop, you know, and I think that gives their offense something they kind of were missing, you know, at the big spot last year. Because if you really think about it, you know, Al Horford's a guy that pretty much is just a, you know, three-point shooter and occasionally goes into the lane and gets layups. But I think for the most part, he was a guy that's out on the perimeter. And I think, you know, with Porzingis, he can do that, but he can also, you know, post up. I think that he, there's some stat where it was like, I forget exactly what it is, but it's like points per post up. Um, And he was fourth in the league. And the only guys that were higher were, I think, Anthony Davis, Joel Embiid, and Jokic, I'm pretty sure. So, you know, he's a guy that gives the Celtics a legitimate post presence, you know, and kind of gives them something that they I don't think they've had in quite a while. And I think gives Jalen and Jason and Derek White and whoever's distributing the ball, it gives them an option that they can go in the paint. And, you know, Porzingis being seven foot three can match up really well against any defenders. So I think that it's a really smart gamble because I think Porzingis, assuming health, you know, makes this team so much more dangerous and I think gives you so many more options for what you can do offensively. And look, defensively, is he on the level of Marcus Smart? Not really at all. Uh, But I think, you know, being 7-3, he can be a deterrent at the rim. You know, he's a decent shot blocker. You know, he's not the best defender. But I think, you know, just simply being 7-3 is, you know, can can be a deterrent for guys, you know, driving to the basket. So I I like the move because I think it's it's a smart gamble again. Um, but I think it really kind of upgrades, you know, the the bigs and kind of gives you, you know, in terms of scoring, gives you something that you really haven't had in a, in a long time. You know, I hope that Rob Williams can develop a little bit more of an offensive game uh, this summer, you know, come into the year with a little bit more of a, an offensive bag, as the kids say. Um, but I think... Just adding Porzingis gives you a whole another dimension for what you can do offensively. It lightens the load for someone like Al Horford, who I don't even know if he starts uh, at the, in, in the fall. So I think, you know, again, it's, I think as, as a fan and as someone that's followed sports for so long, it's very hard to take up the, you know, emotional attachment to certain players. Um, But I think purely from purely from a basketball standpoint, the Celtics, I think, got better with this trade. Um, And that wasn't the only part of the trade. The Celtics also um, acquired the 25th overall pick in the draft on Thursday. And then in true, you know, true Bill Belichick fashion, uh, Brad Stevens kept trading back and kept trading back and kept trading back, uh, traded back, I think, three times. 
if I'm not mistaken. And the Celtics got, you know, some more, some more future picks out of it. Um, and then the Celtics finally, with the 38th overall pick, um, took Jordan Walsh uh, from the University of Arkansas. And I think, un- I think officially he was the Kings draft pick, but uh, he will be on the Celtics because the Celtics made that trade. Um, it actually wasn't even updated the next morning on ESPN. So it was kind of confusing because ESPN said the Celtics made a pick at 35, uh, who was like, can't even remember who the player was, but I was like, that's that's not right. That's not who they picked. So Jordan Walsh is who they picked. He played uh, one year at Arkansas. Last year, Arkansas went to, I believe went to the Sweet 16. Um, and ironically enough, you know, if you listen to the uh, draft preview podcast, Jordan Walsh was a name that I identified uh, as a a good second round pick. And obviously, the Celtics made it um, a reality. But you know, I think if you watched Arkansas's games at any point this season, uh, you could pinpoint that Jordan Walsh was one of their best defenders. You know, a guy that really a hard-nosed player, a hard worker, and I think, you know, has great athleticism. And I think, you know, I do think that legitimately he has a chance that he could get into games right away. Um, Just has a great, I think, great defensive background and I think really is very far advanced in terms of what he can do defensively. Has a great wingspan, is a great individual defender, think that there was some stats somewhere that when he was the primary defender, a player shot 34% when guarded by him. So, you know, I think that really gives him a great, you know, hard-nosed guy on, on the wing, which is a position the Celtics kind of needed a little bit more depth. So I really like the pick. You know, obviously, offensively, there are some things that I think he has to work on. He only shot... I think 28% from three this year. Um, So clearly there is some room for improvement on the offensive end. But I think the way that he plays defensively, it's, you know, I know that I don't, I don't want to say this this is maybe going to sound crazy, but I think the Celtics losing a great, unbelievably hard-nosed defender in Marcus Smart. I think Jordan Walsh kind of brings that same type of energy uh, where he's going to be able to, you know, get the fans behind him with how hard he plays. Not saying that he's going to be Marcus Smart, not saying he's going to win a Defensive Player of the Year award, but, you know, I think will make it a little bit easier next season um, that here's a guy who's going to go all out and play as hard as he possibly can. So, you know, really like the pick. Um, I think that the Celtics went into the draft thinking that they you know, would like to pick a player that could potentially jump in and play right away, you know, and be someone that can contribute uh, to a winning team. You know, you saw what happened with the Nuggets. You know, Christian Brown was 21st overall pick last year um, and was a huge part of their championship. So I think the Celtics may be thinking that sort of way that, okay, we could bring in a kid that you know, can help us win a championship, not saying that he's going to start and be unbelievable right away, but 
could be a valuable, you know, piece off the bench. So, you know, I think that emotions aside, I think the Celtics did have a great week. You know, I think that they upgraded the roster in a way that I think they really needed to. Now, clearly, they're not done upgrading the roster. Clearly, there's going to be some more player movement. You know, it'll be interesting to see how the Celtics proceed with Grant Williams. You know, do they re-sign him? Do they work him into a sign-and-trade? Do they bring in someone else? You know, what free agents do they sign, if any? You know, are there any vet minimum guys that the Celtics are going to bring in? Would be kind of be curious to see. But I think, I think for the most part, um, the Celtics did have a solid week last week. And, you know, of course, Ingus can stay healthy, which I know is kind of a concern with some people. Um, I do think the Celtics are going to be, you know, right, right in the championship mix. You know, I think it is encouraging that Porzingis did play 65 games last year, started all of them, you know, averaged career highs, I think, in points and rebounds. I have to double check on the rebounds, but I think that I think that he's someone that can, you know, really upgrade their front court and be able to give them different, you know, options for what they do offensively. Uh, especially late in games. Now, I do think that he is in talks to sign a contract extension with the Celtics for two years um, after this year, but I don't think that that can become official until July 6th when I think that deals can start, uh, deals can be uh, processed. So I think, you know, like the trade, hate to lose a guy like Marcus Smart, but I feel like in some respect, a move like that had to be done as much as, you know, I was kind of someone that thought that, you know, running it back to an extent would work out fine. But I think the Celtics, you know, clearly are trying to be a little bit more aggressive. So, you know, we'll see what happens. But yeah, well, yeah, we'll see what happens the rest of the, the off season. So I think... We're going to move on and talk about the uh, Red Sox, who, you know, honestly, I was pretty excited, you know, the way that they were playing um, when we last spoke before the Red Sox, or after the Red Sox had, you know, swept the Yankees, had won their fourth straight, um, and then went to Minnesota, won the first two games of that series, you know, six in a row, scoring nine runs and ten runs. Um, and really feeling like, okay, maybe they've turned a corner. And, you know, unfortunately, is what we've seen with this team all year, you know, it all kind of comes crashing down. The Red Sox have lost four of their last five, you know, losing the last two in Minnesota, losing two out of three to, in my opinion, a very bad Chicago White Sox team. Um, now the Red Sox are kind of just back where they were before winning six in a row, and it's just... You know, unfortunately, I think, trying to be optimistic here, but I just, it kind of is just all too familiar with this team. And it's just very hard to, you know, see them maintaining maintaining any sort of momentum. You know, it was kind of similar the way that they had won, you know, eight in a row earlier this season. And it didn't really, you know, change anything. Red Sox are, 
you know, still in last third, three games out of out of fourth place. And I think, you know, losing a couple of really tough games, you know, five to four in extras um, against the Twins, and then five to four in the ninth inning on Saturday, and just as you know, kind of more of the same with this group that, you know, every so often the bullpen has games where guys don't pitch as well as they typically have been, you know, nothing is more, you know, nail on the head than Josh Winkowski coming into Saturday's game, you know, replacing James Paxton after he left after four innings, came into the game having only given up three home runs in his last like 40 innings pitched. And then he gives up three home runs in Saturday's games. Or Saturday's game. The Red Sox do a great job of coming back and tying the game in the top of the ninth. You know, and then the White Sox turn it on them, you know, and, and walk off. And it just, you know, it just it seems like you have these great stretches of play. And then you have these just deflating losses that just kind of, take take the wind out of their sails and um, it just it makes it complicated because you know we're approaching the trade deadline we're approaching a month before then and this team has not really you know established itself as a team that is very clearly either going to buy or to sell and so now it makes this trade deadline way more complicated because it's like okay, what do you do? Do you sell the pieces that you can sell? You know, do you try to upgrade something to try to get on a run? You know, it's kind of, it's very unclear about what they should do because you look at the wild card standings, they're, what, two games, three games out of the wild card? That's that's not nearly enough to be like, okay, let's just you know, rip it up and, and sell all the pieces. Like, I don't really know if it's that clear. Um, so I think, you know, just it just continues to be very frustrating that this team has started to get better pitching over the last month plus, and they still just really seems like cannot drive in runs with guys on base, with guys in, run, with guys in scoring position, and... You know, it's really killing them because they have a lot of these games, you know, like yesterday, for example, where they get multiple guys on base in the early innings and they come away with one run or they come away with no runs. You know, you had two runners on base and nobody out. I think it was the second inning and you struck out, strike out three times in a row. And it's just like... You can't have that, you know, with a team that, you know, desperately needs runs and needs wins, you know, it's not, that's not going to cut it. So, you know, it's, I, I admit it's really hard to find the positives with this team. And I know that, you know, on this program, we try to find the positives, but, you know, it kind of is just more of the same. And this team is just a middle of the road team, you know, and it's hard to, hard to think that they're going to be anything different, you know, even if guys return from injury. And the Red Sox, I think, really been hit hard by a lot of injuries lately, you know, really struggling to find anyone 
that can play shortstop. You know, Pablo Reyes, the guy that people thought, you know, was going to get more time at shortstop, he gets hurt. You know, and David Hamilton, making his major league debut over the weekend, gets into some games, you know, but defensively, they're still not really a good baseball team. And it kind of is frustrating that you're getting a lot of guys being hurt, guys in and out of the lineup. And it's kind of a bad defense, bad situational hitting. And this is a team that's just going to be a 500 team, it seems like. Um, so I think, you know, how they... How they do over the next couple of weeks, I think, is going to really be interesting, you know, to see if it determines what are they really going to do at the trade deadline. Because, you know, you you have guys kind of dropping like flies. You know, James Paxton had to leave the game. You know, Pablo Reyes on the injured list. Um, Alex Verdugo is on the bereavement list, and he didn't play this weekend. So it's just, you know, you're getting to a point where Bobby Dahlbeck's been called back up. You know, Hamilton's up here and just is wild to me that the Red Sox just can't get healthy bodies to play shortstop. You know, it's like every guy that they've brought in, you know, Mondesi is a guy they brought in in the offseason. He's not even seen the field. He's not even been close. You know, stories out. Yu Chang is hurt. You know, now Pablo Reyes is hurt. And you already said that you're moving you know, Kike Hernandez off of shortstop. You know, now you got a rookie playing shortstop. A guy that I think, you know, credit to Hamilton, I don't want to diminish him um, because making the major leagues is a huge accomplishment. But at the same time, I don't think that anyone thought he'd be playing meaningful games this season. You know, Reese McGuire also got hurt. Caleb Hamilton is up from AAA Worcester, you know, catching. And I think... You know, I don't want to make it sound like I'm blaming injuries because I'm not, because very clearly this is a team that, you know, has the ability to be much better than what they're showing. You know, I think that, you know, failing to, to hit with guys on base and guys in scoring position is kind of a kind of the, the thing that's letting them down right now, because I think you know, even the starting pitchers getting hurt, there are still guys that are pitching fantastically. You know, Brian Bayo has been awesome. He's been pitching like a top-of-the-rotation guy, a guy that I think very truly could be your number one maybe as soon as next year with the way that he's pitching. You know, I think Whitlock's been really good. You know, Paxton, I think, before leaving the game on Saturday you know, has been pitching really well as well, you know, and I think it's, you know, frustrating that someone like Cutter Crawford started to pitch better. You know, I think he pitched okay yesterday, but it's just, they can't keep having these low scoring games because they think at a certain point, the pitching is going to come back down to earth and not going to be as good, you know, in the bullpen that I think it's already you know, kind of been a strength of their team, they're going to start getting overworked. You know, it's going to start affecting the pitching where, you know, it's kind of just, 
they're holding on kind of by a thread right now. And I think, you know, at some point it's going to snap and they're going to have to be forced to, to sell some pieces. Now, I don't really know what those pieces are. You know, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. You know, I think Duvall could certainly be a guy that could get moved. You know, I think Kike Hernandez, you know, perhaps Kenley Jansen, but it's kind of, it's kind of hard because they don't exactly have a lot of, you know, attractive pieces to other teams that they could potentially, you know, get a, a big return for. You know, would they consider moving someone like Alex Verdugo? Who knows? You know, I think. Do they feel that they have capable guys in the minor leagues? You know, who knows? But I think, you know, it's it's kind of just more of the same with this team. And I think it's it's hard to sit here and say, oh, you know, I still have confidence in them because Look, I had great confidence in them, the way that they had won, you know, six in a row and the way that they had jumped up to being very close to even third place in the division and how they've lost four out of five. The offense has disappeared and, you know, you're going into a very tough next nine games. You got Miami coming in tomorrow. You're traveling to Toronto for the first time this season and then you're hosting the Texas Rangers who have been one of the best offensive teams in the majors. So it's like, you know, it could be determining or it could be determined over the next couple of weeks, you know, into the all-star break, what the Red Sox might do um, with the trade deadline. So, you know, it's, again, it's, it's just, it's, it's hard to kind of find the, the positives with this team. Because it does seem like the pitching's been pretty solid. That's not been the issue. And it's just wild that beginning of the season, the offense, you know, was on fire. They were scoring a lot of runs. You know, and now it's kind of turned around the other way where they're getting good, solid pitching, but they can't hit in key situations. And, you know, I don't want to keep harping on this because I feel like I've harped on this a lot, but it does concern me that Rafael Devers has, you know, been pretty low on the batting average. He's not really had a good, you know, offensive season in terms of that. You know, clearly, yes, he's got 18 home runs. He has 60 RBIs. He'll probably hit 40 home runs this year. But it's just, you don't really have a lot of consistency outside of, you know, Devers in terms of the production. You know, Turner's been better recently. You know, Verdugo's been pretty solid. Yoshida, I think, has been pretty solid. He's, you know, leveled off a little bit recently. But, you know, I think it's just clear that they need more um, offensively. And, you know, hard to know what happens with the pitching because, you know, you know, Pavetta and Kluber are out of the rotation. You know, Paxton, we'll see, you know, with the injury that he left with. You know, he made it sound like he's confident he'll be able to make his next start, but who knows? You know, Sale's out. You know, Hauk's out. You know, probably won't see the two of them for quite a while, so it's pretty much kind of up to 
Ryan Bahio and and Whitlock to kind of be their top guys. And to their credit, they've been excellent. I think they've been really good. But it's just like at a certain point, those are really kind of your only two, you know, consistent guys that you can count on. Don't really know what you can do. You know, Chris Murphy was called up from AAA. And I think in the three games that he's pitched, has only pitched eight innings, but he's looked good. You know, he's a guy that can, you know, come in and start. Um, but I think, you know, it kind of just, at, at, the, at this current moment, it kind of is just the hitting. It's the guys that need to come up with hits with guys on base, and they're just not doing it. And, you know, I just, it's frustrating because, you know, he looked at their schedule and said, oh, okay, they beat the Yankees. Now you're bringing in two AL Central teams that are not very good. You know, and you should be able to take advantage of it. Now, you know, splitting a series with the Twins is not the worst thing in the world. But then it's like losing two in a row to the White Sox. That's just kind of like they, they're, they're not a good baseball team. And it's like now that the Red Sox have to play Miami, who've been very good. Now they have to play Toronto, who's been better recently. And they have to play Texas. And it's just, you know, that was your opportunity to, you know, pile up some wins, give yourself some confidence. Now you're coming home having lost four out of five, and you have to play these really hard teams. So, you know, it's just hard to find confidence um, in this team right now because they've not really shown you you know, a reason to be confident that they can turn it around um, because they've been doing the same thing. You know, I think mentioning when they won eight straight, kind of be curious to see. So they won eight straight from the end of April to the beginning of the May, beginning of May. They were 21 and 14, and then they lost six out of their next seven. Then they come home, or then they bounce back, win four in a row against Seattle and San Diego. Then they lose four in a row, you know, come back and win two. Then lose three, win two, lose three. And then, you know, recently, six-game winning streak, lose four out of five. So kind of is just how it's gone for them this season, so... You know, the next couple of weeks will be really telling um, in terms of what they do um, in a month or so. So I think it's probably going to do it. We'll talk a little bit about the revolution. They've been awesome. So that's been, you know, a positive uh, around here. You know, if you're a local sports fan and you're at, the, at least a little bit interested um, in the local teams, uh, the Revs have been on fire. Uh, they have won three straight games, continue to be unbeaten at home, um, and they are unbeaten in their last six matches. Three ties and three wins, and they are now in second place in the Eastern Conference, uh, seven points behind uh, the FC Cincinnati, or behind FC Cincinnati, who are the uh, leaders for the uh, supporter shield at the moment, but the Revs can make it very interesting 
um, as they travel to Cincinnati on Saturday to play to play them on the road. So that will be a very interesting game. See how the Revs do, but they've been excellent, and I think it seems like it's all coming together for this team. You know, I think offensively playing exactly the way that we would all hope, and I think Bobby Wood's been playing at a level that I don't think really any of us thought he was able, he'd be able to get back to. Uh, did not score over the weekend, but, you know, tied for the team lead in goals. And, you know, Carlos Heel is going to be Carlos Heel, um, and that's wonderful. But, you know, Giacomo Verioni getting into the lineup, uh, scoring the go-ahead goal against Toronto last Saturday or two days ago. You know, and that was the difference for the Revs. Trying to remember who scored in earlier. Yes, actually, no, it was Bobby Wood. I don't know why I thought he didn't score. Uh, no, so yes, he had scored in the first half um, in the 33rd minute, and then Brioni scored in the 52nd minute, kind of early in the second half. So I think... Getting him on the scoreboard's huge because I think it gives him a lot of confidence. You know, I think it was difficult for him dealing with, you know, some injuries and maybe not injuries. Maybe it was more, you know, inconsistent playing time here and there. And I think it was hard for him to kind of get into a bit of a... Uh, get like back into form, um, you know, that was difficult for him. But I think being able to see the ball go in the goal is huge. And I think hopefully you can see him play more. You know, Gustavo Bo has started to be a little bit more healthy. He's played in, I think he's played in the last two or three games um, and started. And I think anytime you can have Bo and Carlos Eels starting together uh, just makes the offensive attack that much more dangerous than you add in Brioni, who came in as a second-half sub. You know, he scores, and you add in Bobby Wood, who's had a, you know, career renaissance, as uh, one of the broadcasters said on Apple TV. Um, it's just great that they, those four guys have really, you know, picked it up offensively. You know, Boateng, someone that can pepper in the goal every once in a while. We saw that last game. Um, not not this past game, but the game before, um, you know, and there he's a guy that I think has been excellent for the Revs. There was a really neat piece about him in the Globe this weekend um, that I thought was really interesting. So, you know, I think it helps with kind of when they lost uh, Barrero earlier in the season to a to an ACL. You know, it helps that you have that group of four. You know, Bo, Brioni, Wood, and Heel that have been able to kind of pick them up offensively. You know, and granted, it's the guys that you expect, but I think that, you know, just having that attacking, having a bunch of guys that can hurt you or hurt the other team, you know, is really huge. Um, and I think that's been good to see. You know, I don't think really have any, you know, worries about how they're playing. Uh, defensively, you know, they're going to have 
breakdowns every once in a while. That just is what happens. But, you know, the the fact that they have someone like Petrovic back there is just, it's just awesome. You know, he made a huge save. Um, I think it was in the second half. I think that the Revs had the lead and he made a huge save um, to preserve it. And I think, you know, he's been excellent. You know, the defense has been better. You know, they had those two games where they gave up three goals. Uh, but since then, they've given up three goals in four games. So I think that it's been a little bit better. And they're making moves in the standings, which is great. And I think just great for the confidence of the guys that, you know, maybe they went through a little bit of a rut losing a couple of games and not winning, but coming home and then winning all three of these home matches has been huge. And I think, you know, gives them confidence going into what is going to be a really big uh, matchup against FC Cincinnati this weekend. So really excited for that game. I expect the Revs uh, to bring it. The Revs are going to be on the road for the next two games in Cincinnati this weekend and then against the Red Bulls on Saturday, July 8th. Revs will return home on the 12th and the 15th of July against Atlanta, D.C. So I think probably probably we'll do it for the Revs. Move on, talk a little bit about the Patriots. Um, I do have, and I probably should have mentioned at the top of the broadcast, that I do still write for Musket Fire that offseason's been a little bit slow, uh, but I do will have a new article coming out this week uh, talking about, sort of about DeAndre Hopkins, but, you know, getting into details about why I think the Patriots actually will be okay, even if they don't sign him. So no real news on that front. You know, I think that there's thoughts that he is, or DeAndre Hopkins, that is, going through going through offers between the, I think the Titans and the Patriots. Um, I think there is a source that said that he's weighing uh, both offers. And I think, you know, maybe there's some thought that he could be, maybe there's some thought that he could be waiting for another, or waiting for another offer, you know, particularly from a team that's, a contender, um, but I think, you know, I'm not sure if that's going to happen, you know, and that could be one of the advantages of, you know, waiting it out a little bit just to see if there are any other offers that materialize, but I think, you know, and I think I said this, that I think me personally, I would probably want to sign as soon as I can just to kind of get settled, but, you know, I'm not Hopkins, so, you know, it's not... You know, I'm not in his shoes, so I don't know. But I think, you know, would expect that there's a decision soon because training camp starts in about a month. So it's like, you know, hopefully there's a decision soon, but I guess we don't know. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see. Um, but yeah, not really any other, you know, updates on that front. I do think that... Um, and I've said this throughout the offseason. I think that you're going to see a much better offense this season. And I do think that there are, you know, some people that I think looked at last season and kind of think that the offense 
is going to be the same, that the team is going to be the same. And I don't really know why people think that. And it's like, it could be a recency bias thing where, okay, you base your thoughts off what you most recently have seen. But I think it's like you add in Bill O'Brien, an experienced offensive coordinator, and I think that might may sound crazy, but it could be that that's all the difference. You know, that you have someone running the offense that, you know, kind of knows what they're doing. And uh, Kirk Herbstreet was on the Pat McAfee show last week um, and had a lot of positive things to say about Mac Jones and thinks that, you know, at the end of the year, he will be a, I think what he said was like the top one, like in the top three of most improved quarterbacks or something like that. So, you know, I think that that leads you to believe that Mac will have a good season. You know, I think just having O'Brien there, having some of the different pieces that he has um, and, you know, if Hopkins gets added, fantastic, you know, makes their offense uh, even more dangerous than I think it might already be. Um, but I think either way, you're going to see him have a really good season. Um, so I don't, I don't think that there's any other updates. I mean, there are some people that I think are thinking that, you know, Dalvin Cook, based on some of his social media activity, that he may want to join the Patriots, um, along with DeAndre Hopkins, assuming that that's what happens. Um, and I think... You know, someone asked me yesterday about what I thought about Dalvin Cook. And I think, you know, first of all, fantastic player. Um, not really sure why the Vikings chose to release him. You know, running back is a position that I think is starting to, teams are starting to realize that it's, you know, not really a premium position anymore and, you know, are willing to get rid of guys for nothing. Um so I think Cook is still a guy that's a fantastic running back. You know, clearly has been one of the best backs in the league over the last couple of years um, when he's healthy. You know, he's had some health stuff here and there, but I think the player would be a great addition. But I just think I don't know if it is the best fit uh, because I think Ramondre Stevenson kind of does a lot of the things that Cook does. And I feel like having two similar guys would be a little bit redundant on your roster, and I don't think it would be worth it. But, you know, if Hopkins does come to the Patriots and Cook says, hey, I'll play for, you know, next to nothing, you know, I don't think I'd say no to that. But I think, you know, other than that, I think I'll pass uh, because I do think the Patriots have other, you know, running backs that I think could, you know, in a larger role this season could be, you know, a lot better than what we think, you know, Pierre Strong, Kevin Harris in particular. Um, I do think, and I said this to this person yesterday, um, I think if the Patriots are going to sign, you know, a free agent running back, you know, think about Cook, Ezekiel Elliott, Leonard Fournette, I kind of think it's going to be the latter. Um, I think Fournette, Belichick likes, um, and I think gives them, would give them a legitimate like power back a guy that you can give it to on the goal line and I think would really help take the pressure off of, you know, Stevenson as kind of that do-everything guy. So, you know, I don't expect that the Patriots are going to sign any of those running backs. 
Um, I think they're going to probably be fine with what they have, but, you know, who knows? It could get closer to training camp, and they realize that they need a body. You know, fingers crossed there's not an injury or something like that. So, you know, that will kind of be interesting to keep an eye on. Not the running back free agents, but I think the running back situation with the team. You know, how do Kevin Harris and Pierre Strong perform? You know, what does that look like? Do the Patriots feel like, okay, we're not confident in the way that they've played. Do we bring in someone else? That will kind of be interesting to uh, pay attention to in a training camp. So I think that's going to do it uh, for the Patriots. When we get into the Bruins, we'll obviously be talking plenty of Bruins with our guest later this week. So I don't want to get too far into it, but the Bruins, you know, as I said at the top of the broadcast, have picks in the third round, the fourth round, the sixth round, and then two in the seventh in the draft that takes place Wednesday and Thursday this week. So first round, I believe, is Wednesday, and then the other rounds are on Thursday, the NHL awards are tonight. We talked about that last week in terms of the award finalists. I do happen to think the Bruins are going to be going home with quite a haul of uh, hardware tonight. I think the the Vezina, the Jack Adams, the Selkie, I think are pretty much locks for um, Olmark, Montgomery, and Bergeron, respectively. Um, I don't think Pasternak wins the the Hart Trophy. Kind of think it's pretty obvious it's going to be McDavid, but uh, just to have him be a finalist um, is quite an honor for him after the the season that he had. So that will be something to look forward to. And I know that yes, it's hard because those you know awards are regular season awards, and we know that this team. Um, vastly underperformed um, in the playoffs this year. But, you know, it's, it's I think, it's going to kind of be a challenging offseason because the Bruins are very truly, you know, up against it in terms of the salary cap, you know, with about $5 million in space and, you know, countless guys that are free agents. So, you know, I do happen to think that there is going to be a couple of moves that are probably probably going to hurt a little bit. And I think people need to prepare themselves for, you know, not saying that it's going to be like a massive franchise-altering trade as, you know, quote-unquote insiders on Twitter are trying to say. Um, I don't think that it's going to be like trading Marshand or anything like that, but I do think that you know, Taylor Hall, Matt Grizzlick, you know, Olmark, possibly are names that could get moved that I think, you know, are, it's going to be hard to swallow, but I think it's just going to be a hard offseason this summer. You know, next summer, the Bruins are going to have a lot of cap space. They're truly going to be able to, I think, maneuver a little bit better. So it might just be you have to suck it up this summer, lose some guys, but I think you know, they should be okay next summer. Um, I think in terms of the goalies, and I think, you know, Ty Anderson has said this multiple times, that he believes, you know, moving Allmark is kind of a last resort kind of move. 
um, that I think the Bruins like what they have with the goaltending and the defense, and they kind of want to, you know, build out from there. You know, McAvoy, Lindholm, and Carlo are kind of your top three guys that the Bruins really want to ride with. And I think other than that, you know, it's kind of anyone's guess what they're going to do. But I do think that, you know, forward-wise, there could be some changes. You know, the Bruins really are going to be hoping that some of their young guys can come in and make an impact. Um, but I think, you know, it's going to be interesting to see Bergeron and Krejci, you know, what their thoughts are in terms of playing. You know, I think, obviously, it's going to be tough if the both of them decide to hang it up and the Bruins are going to have to, you know, move on. Um, but I do think someone like Tyler Bertuzzi is, I think, someone that the Bruins would like to keep. Um, and I think someone that played excellent in the playoffs offensively and is a great fit with Pasternak. And I think the Bruins want to identify guys that can play well with kind of their next core. And I think that Bertuzzi is the guy that I think it makes the most sense to try to keep. And I think it may be at the expense of Taylor Hall, which is going to suck, to be perfectly honest, um, because I've loved the way that he has played uh, ever since he's come to the Bruins. It's, yeah, I could spend an hour talking about, you know, how much I've enjoyed Taylor Hall being a part of this Bruins team over the last couple of years. He's played excellent, you know, playing the full, playing playing just a full, like, two-way game, you know, doing all the little things, doing things that I think people didn't think he could do, you know, getting back defensively, making big defensive plays, and just being a great, you know, part of the Bruins locker room and being a guy that people really liked playing with and a guy that I think was well-respected and I think a guy that really turned his career around, you know, coming here. So losing him is really going to be tough if that's the case. Um, but I think you kind of got to do what you got to do because, you know, in, in all honesty, as much as I love Taylor Hall, in all honesty, this past season, he was a third line player and he was making $6 million And it's just, it's kind of a little bit too much for, you know, the role that he was playing. So, you know, I won't be surprised if he gets moved. I don't know if he gets moved this week during the draft. Is it, you know, more of a hockey trade after the draft? You know, who knows? But I think, you know, they're going to be some tough decisions. And I think Matt Grizzlick is another guy that they're going to have to make a tough decision with whether to trade him or not. I think he's got good trade value. But I think, you know, losing him would be tough if that happens uh, because I think he's meant a lot to a lot of Bruins fans. He's a guy that was a local kid, came up through BU, you know, played for the Bruins. And I think really, for the most part of his Bruins career, has been really solid. Um, but I think, unfortunately, the way that he's been utilized the last two years in the playoffs in particular leads me to believe that he might just be kind of kind of don't know how to say this, but I think a guy that's kind of been a spare part. And I think if the Bruins don't think that he's going to be, you know, a 
consistent part of the lineup, then there's probably no use in keeping him. So, you know, I think I don't want to talk too much about the Bruins, but I think just those two players in particular that I think could have a legitimate chance to, to get moved. Um, so, yeah, looking forward to guest Friday later this week. We'll talk more Bruins. The draft will be completed at that point, so we might have an idea of some players that you could see at development camp. You could have an idea of uh, what this team is going to start to look like this summer. So I think that's probably going to do it for the local teams. going to talk a little bit about some Major League Baseball. Dodgers' Freddie Freeman joined the 2000 hit club with a double yesterday. The uh, Cubs and the Cardinals played uh, the London series over the weekend. A couple of games. Cubs, I think, winning the first. Cardinals winning the second. So, um, exciting, you know, for the league to grow the game in London. It was pretty cool to see the Red Sox and Yankees play that series a couple of years ago. Um, so I think, you know, All-Star Games coming up soon. We'll probably talk about some finalists in the coming weeks. Probably take a look at the, you know, which guys make the roster. Kind of don't know who's going to make it from the Red Sox. I kind of think Devers probably will, but other than that, I'm kind of not sure. Um, so we'll take a look at the standings. Tampa Bay in first place in the East, a four and a half game lead over Baltimore. Tampa Bay is 54 and 27. In the Central, the Twins with the same record as the Red Sox, 40 and 39. They're in first place, a two game lead over Cleveland. In the West, the Rangers, 47 and 30. They'll be coming to Fenway soon. They have a five-and-a-half five game lead over the Astros. The Braves, first place in the NL East, 50-27. and 27. They have a six-game lead over the Marlins, who will be at Fenway tomorrow night for a three-game series. The Cincinnati Reds, after winning 12 in a row, have catapulted to the top of the National League Central. They have a half-game lead over the Brewers. And the Diamondbacks continue to set the pace. They set the pace in the National League West with a 47 and 32 record, a two and a half game lead over the Giants. And then in the wild card, we have Baltimore and the Yankees and the Blue Jays in the wild card positions with the Astros a half game back, the Angels one game back, and the Red Sox are three back. In the National League, we have the Marlins, the Giants, and the Dodgers, with the Brewers and the Phillies three games back of the wild card there. So I think we're going to move over and talk a little bit about the NBA. Obviously, the draft took place last week, so we'll talk about that first. Uh, Wembenyama, Brandon Miller, and Scoot Henderson going in the top three. And then the Thompson Twins going 4-5, and five, with Amen and Asar going to Houston and Detroit. So, 
I was thinking about this when I was watching the draft with a friend of the pod, uh, Tarek Welch, uh, that that will be interesting when the Rockets and the Pistons play each other. We'll see the Twins play against each other. That will be kind of interesting. Um, Anthony Black, Bilal Koulibaly, Jairus Walker, Taylor Hendricks, and Kaysen Wallace rounded out the top 10. Just some other notable picks. I know that Matt and I talked about uh, Jordan Hawkins and, uh, no, not Jordan. No, not Jordan Hawkins. I'm sorry. I, I confused the two UConn guards. Um, Andre, it's, no, Andre Jackson. That's who we, that we had talked about. Uh, went to the, the Bucks. I think it was the Bucks. No, excuse me. I think it was the Magic um, after that uh, draft trade. Or, okay, the picks have not updated um, in terms of who they got traded to. Uh, but no, Andre Jackson is on the Bucks. The second round pick, we talked about that. Talked about him. Jordan Hawkins, the other Yukon guard, went to the Pelicans at number 14. Jaime Hawkins went 18th to the Heat. We talked about him a little bit. Um, and then Celtics obviously getting... Jordan Walsh in the second round. Um, so I think we're going to look at some other NBA pieces um, because there were some trades that happened before the... Some trades that happened before and after the draft. So here we go. We'll get to some of the... Trades, just trying to, okay, here's the trade tracker. Uh, so, obviously, the Celtics were not the only team that made um, kind of a big trade around the draft. The uh, Warriors uh, exchanging guards with the Wizards. Jordan Poole going to the Wizards with a future first and a future second. Um, and then Chris Paul coming to the Warriors. So kind of curious about how that trade works out. So Chris Paul traded for the second time this summer. Um, I'm not sure how that move works out for the Warriors, you know, getting rid of Jordan Poole. I think that it was, you know, I don't know the full kind of details of that, whether there were issues with, you know, the, the, the team in the end. You know, so curious about the fit with Chris Paul with the Warriors. I'm not really sure that I see the fit there, but, you know, the Warriors are the Warriors, so it probably will work out, uh, but we'll see. Uh, the Timberwolves coming to terms with uh, Nas Reed on a new contract, three years for $42 million. And the Knicks have declined Derrick Rose's player option for next season, you know, could possibly be a veteran minimum addition possibility for the Celtics. Um, Paolo Bancaro will join the uh, U.S. team for the FIBAs, which I think are in a couple of weeks. And I think, yeah, I think it's going to do it for the NBA. We'll get to the NHL, talk a little bit about some pieces here. Obviously, the NHL awards are tonight. 
It's an eight o'clock on TNT. Jordan Stahl and the Carolina Hurricanes coming to terms on a new four-year deal. A couple of trades happened the other day. Ryan Johansson traded from Nashville to Colorado. Could be an interesting addition for the Avalanche. Uh, Sean Dursey was traded from the Kings to the Coyotes. And Connor Ingram signing a three-year deal with the Coyotes to return. So be interesting to see the awards tonight in Nashville. And then the draft is also in Nashville. So uh, awards tonight and then the draft on Wednesday and Thursday. And then free agency starts on Saturday, I believe. So be interesting to see uh, what happens there. So just some quick NFL thoughts before we let you, let you folks go. The Bills um, extending both their general manager, Brandon Bean, and their head coach, Sean McDermott, through 2027. Um, Jets, Jets safety, Chuck Clark, uh, tore his ACL in uh, workouts, I think, so he will miss the entire season. So I think that's probably going to do it for me. Uh, looking forward to... Our guest later this week got a new guest, so really excited for that. So be on the lookout for that on Friday. So we will uh, talk to you then.